Brethren, welcome back. It's good to see you. Matt is running for a clean glass for his whiskey, Josh is inventing another foul name for his rum, Matthew is turning the tap for some Yorkshire clear and Jordan's drinking Coca-Cola. I don't believe that last one for a second. It's the Leeds Light Blues podcast. Bottoms up. Hello and welcome to the Leeds Light Blues podcast. You're joining me, your host, Brother Matt Namiria, and with me tonight, Brother Josh Doherty Turnbull. Brother Matthew Wharton. Brother Jordan Ramoff. Brother Ian Currens. Brother Ian, thank you very much for coming and joining us. My Welcome. Pleasure. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I was initiated into craft Freemasonry in 1977, into what well, I suppose you could call my family lodge. The first member of the family, if you like, in, in that lodge was my, uh, my grandmother's cousin's husband. He then brought my grandfather into the lodge, initiated, I think, in 1927, went through the chair of the lodge in 1946. He brought my uncle in and, uh, and then brought my father in, his, his son-in-law. And then my dad brought me in and then brought my brother in. So we, it's, it's very much the family lodge. It's a London lodge, the Abbey Lodge, Westminster, number 2030. It's called the Abbey Lodge, Westminster, because all the founders back in 1884 lived and worked around Westminster Abbey. There was nobody actually particular connection with Westminster Abbey, but they all lived, they were all Westminster politicians, businessmen, tradesmen, that sort of thing. The first master was William Burdette Coutts. Uh, William Burdette Coutts was the husband of the Baroness Burdette Coutts, who's a great Victorian philanthropist, and she owned Coutts Bank. So she had Mega, mega, mega money. Wowzer. The uh, Queen's bankers. Yeah, the Royal Bank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, she was a friend of Queen Victoria's. Yeah. So as I say, I, I, I joined that lodge and then progressed into the Royal Arch. Into other orders, um, I eventually ended up in the Craft and Royal Arch as the uh, assistant metropolitan, one of the assistant metropolitan grandmasters and uh, one of the assistant metropolitan grand superintendents. I am or have been at some stage a member of most of the uh, progressive orders and I'm currently and have been for the last two years currently Grand Summers of the Ancient and Masonic Order of the Scarlet Cord which is administered from Mark Mason's Hall. Awesome and of course the uh, Order of the Scarlet Cord is something that we're going to be talking about tonight, uh, how to get into that particular order, where it comes from, the history behind that. Uh, before we do anything further brethren, uh, let's do our first toast of the evening. So, uh, Brother Jordan, are we charged in the West? All charged in the West. And which Brother Ian, are we charged in the South? All charged in the South. Then, Brethren, the Queen and the Craft. The Queen, Queen and, and the, the Craft. And tonight I am on the Balvini 12 year old single malt double wood. What's everyone else drinking tonight? <laughs> oh, Isla nice. Sky Talisker. Talisker Sky, very nice. Yeah, it is very nice. Mm. I'm double fisting. We've got Brewdog Dead Pony Club and we've got Rum and Ginger. Is that like an Alan Partridge chaser? <laughs> what type of rum is it, Josh? You always have fancy rums. This is my everyday rum. This is Dead Man's Fingers. Jordan, what are you on? I'm just drinking Coke, but, uh, <laughs> but, it's, but it's vanilla Coke, so... They brought that back. Yeah, 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 yeah it's nice. Back. And it's a special mention this evening because for those of you that can't see our live stream, because obviously we do our podcasts on Zoom, Brother Matthew is wearing a very specific jewel this evening. He's wearing the birthday jewel. It is actually his 30th birthday. And uh, we went and surprised him earlier in a socially distant way en masse and gave him some presents and a, and a bottle of wine. I believe you're already through a bottle of wine. Is that right, Matthew? I, I am through one bottle of wine i'm now uh, about a quarter of the way through my next bottle of wine well may i say your constitution is is a lot better than mine because after one bottle of wine i think i would have been feeling it by now so it uh, is when i'm on wine i have to say <laughs> but it was absolutely amazing to have um the brethren turn up at my doorstep in a socially distant way for the record um and there was i think a number of you and it was it was in really really incredible moment I, I i really genuinely didn't expect it and it's pretty much what freemasonry is about being there for each other through good times through bad and of course it's much harder to be there for good times at the moment 
um, given that we all can't see each other and I haven't seen you all for a while. So thank you very much. So what red wine are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking one of the gifts. Um, it's a Merlot bottle of wine from mm-hmm. Chile. Ooh, Chile. Nice. So let's take this opportunity to raise another glass to the birthday boy. Oh. So the birthday boy. Birthday boy, Matthew. Happy birthday, Matthew. Happy Cheers, brethren. I appreciate it. Charity updates. The good news in Yorkshire West Riding Province on wrprovince.org.uk. There's been a little bit of activity going on with respect to the PGMs fund. Since the last update on the 4th of May, £2,000 has been given to the Leeds Baby Bank, £1,000 to Ripon Community House, 1500 to Project Food Hall, some others to St Vincent Support Centres, community partnerships. £1,000 has been given to Harrogate Hospital Radio, who has provided entertainment for patients for over 40 years. And due to the pandemic, the presenters aren't able to attend the studio so it enables two additional presenters to work from home which is really good continuing to provide services to those that are in hospital so those are our charity updates for this week we've had some new likes this week the rules are simple if you go to our facebook which is www.facebook.com forward slash leads like blues if you like our page we give you a shout out so the likes for this week brethren are grant duke Peter Doherty, Jeff Gill, Craig Hammonds, Kieran BLBH, Richard Cox, Ian Addis, Edward O'Donnell, and Julian Tudos. So, brethren, to our guests. To our guests. To our guests. Yes. Thank you very much for following us. One other item of business before we get into the main topic of the evening, which of course is the lectures and the current situation and what we're doing. Yeah, the lectures, we've put on hiatus. We are going to take a well-earned break, obviously. Last week, two weeks ago when you hear this, we had Ian Cohns on talking about filling the gaps. And, you know, it was excellent. And we realised we couldn't get better than that and the five preceding lectures. So we're just taking a break. Uh, We're going to focus some energy on some other things. We've got a couple exciting projects lined up. Um, Last night, for instance... We played a new Masonic board game on the square live on Twitch, and that was, I really enjoyed that. Uh, Matthew, you were there with me, uh, as was Matt, actually. Yeah, sorry, I'm doing mm-hmm. you a disservice there. You can check that out on Kickstarter. They're trying to raise funds to make that into a reality as well. So just plugging that for them. Can yeah. I just say, what an awesome time we had playing that game. If you're not uh, familiar with On the Square, it's the, I think, the world's first Masonic board game. So go and check that out on our Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash leads like blues. You can see us playing the board game, uh, which is currently virtual. Um, and they're looking to basically make it into a published board game. So go and check that out and go check their fundraiser out as well. And of course, that was a world exclusive playing that as well. So we were, we were really privileged that the, the creators decided to come to the leads like blues. And um, we're really thankful that for that. It was like, it was like a mix between... Um, Monopoly and Game of Life, and who knew that the go-to-jail base is the DC, which is pretty funny because you got to leave the large when you land on that. Worshipful, but it is worshipful, brother, isn't it, Ian? Uh, very worshipful, actually. Very worshipful, right? Okay. <laughs> Indeed, right. craft terms, yeah. Right, okay. Well, very worshipful, okay. brother. You can oh. just call me Ian. Please just call me Ian. It's fine. <laughs> so, Ian, <laughs> yourself, then. One of the traditions that we have on the podcast is we ask anyone who's new to the podcast to tell us their top three lodges that they've ever visited. So I'm going to put you on the spot. What are your top three? Okay. I'm not going to restrict it, if that's okay, just to, to craft lodges. Um, the talk last week, filling the gaps, was about other orders, and what we're going to talk about tonight is another order. So um, I think probably I've got to mention my mother lodge first. I mean, it's it's obviously very very special because I have that family attraction. I've got a past master's jewel. I don't I don't wear it. I've got a past master's jewel with one, two, three, you know, four family names on it. So it's 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 very very special. I'm still the secretary. I've been the secretary. I won't tell you how long I've been the secretary for, but a very very long time. Probably actually, I've been the secretary for about as long as Matthew's been on this earth. So crikey, yeah. So that's commitment. Not well, not because not because I'm holding the job, but because it's it's kind of built a momentum of its own now, and the members wouldn't stand for anybody else to be the secretary. So it's a very special lodge to me, obviously, and um, and always will be. Um, 
The second one is, uh, I would say, Mill Hill Mark Lodge, which is my mother Mark Lodge. It's a very special lodge. We only meet twice a year. We meet on a Saturday morning at a place called Mumbai Square, which is near Liverpool Street Station in London. And it's a purpose-built Masonic temple, but it's over an Indian restaurant. So we go there, it's a thriving lodge. We have some very, very, we have art mariners there as well. We have a very, very good art mariner and a very, very good mark meeting. And we get lots of candidates, as I say, lots of people go there. And then we have, we go downstairs and we have a curry lunch on the Saturday morning with Kingfisher or uh, whatever you like. That sounds like our idea of a festive board. Absolutely. And the food, the food is, the, the portions, it's a big plate of food. You can just nice. absolutely pop a doms and naan bread and the whole, the whole thing, you know. I'm sure that'll please a Yorkshireman. You can just binge on this Indian food and drink as much as you feel like. It's a real occasion. And we have the same every time. We never, the menu never varies. And if anybody suggested we change the menu, we'd, we'd be strung up because, you know, that just is such a big part of that lodge. So. So that's number two. And number three is a very, very special order of the Secret Monitor Conclave I belong to called uh, Equays. And a lot of the senior people in the OSM, including the, the Grand Supreme Ruler and the past Grand Supreme Ruler and the um, past past Grand Supreme Ruler are members, uh, a lot of really senior people, but they're all really, really nice people. And the standard of uh, ritual is exceptionally high. So, there's no prima donnas. Everybody gets some. We have some really, really, really high profile, high standards of ritual in the meeting. And then we dine in the Earl of Euston room, which is the room at the front at Mark Mason's Hall, which looks out down Pall Mall and St. James's Palace. And we have the fine dining menu. So it's usually about 60 quid, which is probably quite a lot of money in North and East Yorkshire terms. But it, it's really, really worth it. You know, the food is excellent. The wine is excellent. We don't have toasts or anything like that because everybody's heard it, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. We don't have lots of boring speeches. We don't tell jokes or anything like that. We just have the minimum toast. People stand up, drink the toast, sit down. That's the end of it. You're kind of selling your order here, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, they're not all like that, but I mean, this is Equays and, and we're away by half past eight. So, you know, people travel from all over the country to come. So, you know, they can get away. They can get trains back to Wales or you know, north of England. Equays is a very special unit. So that, that's my three. Thank you, Ian. And so, brethren, let's raise a glass then to Ian's Lodges and Conclave. To Ian's Lodges and Conclave. Ian's Thank Lodges you. and Conclave. Ian's Lodges and Conclave. So how often does Abbey Lodge meet then and where, and where does it meet? Abbey Lodge, like most London lodges, meets four times a year. Yeah. At Great Queen Street. Okay. Yeah. Which is, yeah, I mean, which is nice. I mean, Great Queen Street's fine. It's a special, it is a special place to meet, but unfortunately... If you go there a lot, you, you start to take it for granted, which is a bit difficult. And also you're, you're kind of, the drawback with Great Queen Street is there's no dining there. Has everybody been there? Just Not made the journey yet. It's on my to-do list. I've been on the public oh, yeah. tour, but never, never for a lodge yeah. meeting, which I'd no, love to okay. go once point. Okay, well, you know, whenever you can pop down, come. But it's a vast building and you're kind of, when you get in the temple, you're cocooned, you know, because they've got big anti-rooms big temples, big anti-rooms. You could be in there, you don't know there's 17 other lodges meeting in there at the same time. There probably are, but for all intents and purposes, you're the only ones in there. And then afterwards, because there's no dining there, everybody comes out the door at Great Queen Street and goes zoom, 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 goes off to all different places for dining. So there's no kind of cross-fertilization that you get in, say for the sake of argument, somewhere at Mark Mason's Hall or, or any of the other centers where there's several lodges meeting where you all meet up in the bar afterwards before you go off to your various dining rooms. So you don't see anybody else. So there's no cross personalization It does feel as if you're meeting in a bit of isolation. So I think that's, that's the drawback of Great Queen Street, although it's obviously a special place to, to meet. Moving it to the Order of the Scarlet Cord, and obviously yourself being the Grand Summus of yeah. the Order, I have to ask, what is a Summus? Summus was, Summus, it's, it's, it's like, you know, the summit it's like it's a latin word um meaning number one effectively okay and i, I expect we'll talk about the history of the order early but later on but um it's the um it is the original term that they used back in the 1890s and early part of the 20th century for the head of the order so 
when Ilda was resuscitated, we used a lot of the original terminology. So sumus is the derivation, things like summit is, is a derivation, yeah. meaning the top, effectively. Got you, the uh, equivalent of a lodge in, in the order is a consistory. Um, obviously the equivalent of a grandmaster is a uh, grand summus. Yeah. So what, yeah. what, so is a brother, would a brother be a companion. summus? Companion. All oh, right, so you keep companion. the companion then, okay. Yeah, I mean, see, it's, the analogy is pretty much like, because you need to be in the OSM to be in Scarlet Call, the OSM, each member of the OSM is a brother. Mm. And the Scarlet Call, which was an offshoot of the OSM, it's companion. So it, that's, it's that craft and Royal Arch analogy, brother. And then the more progressive order is, is you are a companion. The history of the order, where did it okay. come from? It's kind of inextricably linked with the Order of the Secret Monitor. The Order of the Secret Monitor was formally inaugurated in this country in 1887. It had come from America. Very early on, one of the founders of the order in this country, whose name was Judge Philbrick, I'll just uh, find a photograph when I'm talking. Oh, there we are. There's, there's, can you see that, Judge yep. Philbrick? Oh, yeah. It looks, looks like a judge. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. Judge Philbrick, he thought that the new OSM, 1887, uh, could do with an appendant order. One or two of the other orders starting up around that time or just before had appendant orders, like the uh, the Knights Templar had the Knights of Malta as an appendant order. The Red Cross had the Order of the Holy Sepulchre and the Order of St. John the Evangelist as appendant orders. And Philbrick thought that the new secret monitor should have an appendant order as well to strengthen it. And in addition, Philbrick was very interested in Masonic charity. So when he introduced the Order of the Scarlet Cord two years later in 1889, he introduced a system of six grades or degrees. And as you moved up through each grade, you paid a charity contribution to the OSM, the Order of the Secret Monitor Benevolent Fund. Now, we're not talking 10 20 quid back then in 1889 to get to the sixth grade you you were paying every step you were paying up up to about what was it 25 guineas which in today's money is probably 15,000 20,000 pounds wow so serious eye-wateringly large contributions to charity and in that way the membership of the Scarlet Cord created an enormous capital sum for the OSM Benevolent Fund. There were never that many members in the old Scarlet Cord, probably because it was so expensive, but there didn't really need to be. If you look at some membership details for 1915, the Grand Summers was the Earl of Warwick, past Grand Summers was the Earl of Halsbury, uh, the Grand Regent Vicarious was the Earl of Lonsborough, the Grand Director of Ceremonies was Field Marshal Lord Methuen. I mean, that just gives you a clue as to the kind of people that were involved. So they didn't need a lot of people because those people put, were in a position to put serious amounts of money in. The order worked, as I say, from 1889 up until the start of the First World War. Then it went into abeyance. It came out of a, a suspension, if you like, in 1919. Mm. But then it ceased working in 1929. Nobody okay. is entirely sure why, at the moment, why it ceased working. Several theories. Um, one, uh, the effect of the First World War and the effect of the Great Depression in the 1920s meant that that kind of money for Masonic purposes was no longer available. Mm. Um, <laughs> It may be because the, the kind of people that had been involved and the ceremonial they used, the dress code, I mean, they wore court dress, you know, not just black jacket, striped trousers or dinner jackets. I mean, court dress, you know, tailcoats, white bow ties, the whole thing, you know, that was okay in Victorian times in the 1890s, but maybe by the, 19, the late 1920s, um, that was regarded as being completely outmoded. All of the founders, the founding fathers, if you like, had all died off by 1929. You know, the last, I think the last two died in 1927 and 1928. And the OSM had a new grandmaster in 1929. Um, so maybe he thought, you know, it's time, it's time to knock this on the head now. So it ceased working in 1929. But people are aware of it, it had been around, but it wasn't until 2001 that 
the uh, Peter Glyn Williams, who used to be Grand Recorder of all the Orders of Mark Mason's Hall. On his retirement, he became Grand Supreme Ruler, head of the Order of the Secret Monitor. And in 2001, he delivered a paper to the research conclave of the Order of the Secret Monitor about the Scarlet Court, about the history of the Scarlet Court. This got a lot of people interested in the Scarlet Court. But again, nothing happened really until 2005. And then, interestingly, it was charity that, that stimulated the rebirth of the Scarlet Court. The concept of match funding had just been introduced into the OSM in that if a, if a province or an individual OSM conclave wanted to give a charitable donation to a local charity, you know, whatever it be, like a hospice or food bank or, or, or whatever, the OSM Benevolent Fund, because it had this big fund, would match fund the donation. That had been going well, but I mean, the idea caught on, so loads and loads and loads of conclaves were asking for, for match funding. And also you've got to bear in mind at that time, around 2005, interest rates, which had, you know, in the, in the decade previously had been sky high, um, had dropped away, not to where we're at now, but they dropped down a lot. So the grand treasurer at the time, a bloke called George Kaywood, he, he, he said he was very much in favour of match funding. But unfortunately, if, if this, we carried on doing this, then we're going to start digging into the capital rather than being able to make these charitable donations from the interest. So it was then that a very good friend of mine and the deputy grand supreme ruler at the time, Brian Wareham, came up with the idea, which he put to Peter Glyn Williams, of resuscitating the Order of the Scarlet Cord with a charitable donation between each grade, not the eye-wateringly large amounts that had been in the uh, Victoria times, but I think it was something like 20 quid, maybe 25 quid between each step. Put it to a few senior members, we all thought, you know, this is a great idea. Um, and so in that way, the Scarlet Cord was reborn, working under, as it had been previously, working under the Order of the Secret Monitor. So the Order of the Secret Monitor conclave would adjourn, you'd open a consistory of the Scarlet Cord, carry out your Scarlet Cord ceremonies, close, resume as an OSM, and then close as an OSM. So that system worked from the end of 2006 till 2010, when the idea was put forward by the, the next Grand Recorder at Mark Mason's Hall, John Brackley, the order was developing so quickly, so many people wanting to come in, that John thought it would be a good idea if the order was inaugurated as a sovereign order in its own right. There was an enormous amount of work to do to get the order up and running. If you just think about what's involved in running an order, you've got to have constitutions and regulations, got to decide on the structure, the officers, both at grand level, provincial level, consistory level, you know, quite apart from all the rituals for the grades, for things like consecrations and installations and, and, and things like that, what the regalia would be, all those things. It was a phenomenal amount of work to do, which was actually done yeah. in a fairly short space of time by a, a fairly small number of people, but it all came together. And you know, the, uh, the order was inaugurated on the 21st of July, 2010. We're coming up next month to our 10th anniversary Brilliant. as a sovereign order. And it's um, progressed since then. I'm happy to say. Excellent. And uh, our growth last year was 8.5% on memberships, which is easily the, uh, makes it easily the fastest growing um, mainstream Masonic order, which we're very proud about. That's really good to hear. So obviously it's an order that's got some history. It's mm. also now, it shares the benefit of having a fairly new order that seems to be quite exciting. People seem to be yeah. joining it at quite a big rate. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the the story behind Scarlet Cord. So I'm looking at the badge right now. Uh, for those of listeners who haven't seen the badge of the uh, the Ancient and Masonic Order of the Scarlet Cord, you can you can find it if you go onto Google. We're looking at a building at night, and there's a, a red-haired woman or a veiled woman who is on a balcony, and there's a guy who's kind of climbing up, clinging onto a Scarlet Cord. So what's he, what's the, what's he the story behind? He almost looks like that? he almost looks like he's like the husband's come home or something. Well, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> that's, that's really quite funny because the Scarlet Cord is um, an allusion to the to the Book of Joshua, 
in the Bible. In the time of Moses, the Jews had been promised the land of Canaan to establish themselves as a nation. But um, they were frightened to go in and take the land by force. So they were forbidden for 40 years to go and take the land. Eventually, Moses died and Moses' successor was Joshua. And if you are at all familiar with the book of Joshua, you'll know that Joshua then led the Israelites across the River Jordan. They crossed the River Jordan by the aid of the Ark of the Covenant. The legend is that the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the uh, tablets on which the Ten Commandments had been written, they took the Ark of the Covenant into the middle of the River Jordan, the high priests, and the River Jordan ceased flowing as Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt. They parted the Red Sea. The, the power of the Ark of the Covenant caused the River Jordan to cease flowing, and the Jews crossed the River Jordan into the land of Canaan. The first thing they had to do once they got into Canaan was capture, the first city to be captured was the city of Jericho. So Joshua sent two spies into the city of Jericho and they concealed themselves in the house of Rahab, who had a house on the city walls. Rahab was in actual fact a prostitute, but uh, she believed in the God of the Israelites and she believed that the Israelites would prevail when the inevitable battle happened. And she hid the spies from the king of Jericho's guards on the condition that when the Israelites took the city, as she believed they would, that she and her family would be spared. Everybody else, you know, what happened in those days, you know, an army takes the city and kills everybody in it, no prisoners. Anyway, she, she hid the spies and the two Israelite spies said to her, right, what you must do, you must hang a scarlet cord in your window and that will protect you and your family when we come and take the city. And interestingly enough, that is a legend that leads to the legend of the, the origin maybe of the legend of the red light district, the fact that this prostitute Rahab hung this scarlet cord in her window. Anyway, the spies, uh, the king of Jericho's guards came to, the, came to Rahab's uh, place of business. Um, she had hidden the spies on the roof under stalks of flax. And when the guards went, they climbed down a rope and escaped from the city, going back to report to Jericho. So this emblem here is, is not a customer climbing up the rope to Rahab's place of business. It's actually one of the Jewish spies escaping from her window. After that, of course, the Israelites took the Ark of the Covenant, paraded the Ark of the Covenant around the city of Jericho seven, for seven days and seven times on the seventh day, the Sunday. And everybody knows the song, you know, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, blah, blah, blah. And the walls came tumbling down. And the walls came tumbling down and stormed uh, in and took the city. And true to their promise, uh, Rahab and her family were saved. After that, Rahab lived among the Israelites. She actually married the son of one of the spies called Salmon. Rahab and Salmon had a son, and the son's name was Boaz. Yes, the very same Boaz that uh, we hear about in the craft first degree. So named after Boaz, a great grandfather of David, a prince and ruler in Israel. That's all we hear, isn't it? That's the only here, that's the only mention we get of Boaz. And so the son of Rahab and Salmon was Boaz. That explains the uh, logo of the Scarlet Cord. That's what the Scarlet Cord is. It's based on faith. People have said it's a funny thing to have a Masonic order based on some experiences in the life of a prostitute, but it's not about that. It's about faith. She had faith in, although she was a Canaanite, she had faith in the God of Israel and she had faith that the uh, Israelites would keep their promise, which they did. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I agree. And definitely. Yeah. There are a number of famous prostitutes in history and within the Bible as well. Yeah. So uh, fantastic to see, not necessarily prostitutes themselves, but sort of women taking a, a centre stage in Masonic ritual. Well, that's right. Yeah, yes. The The story of Rahab is, is not exclusive to the Scarlet Cord. Um, one of the uh, one of the appendant orders of the Knight Templar priests, you've heard of the Order of Knight Templar priests, mm -hmm. they have a number of appendant orders which they don't actually work, but, but they are actually 
in possession of, and one of those is called um, Knight of uh, Knight of Jericho. So that's the same sort of legend. The legend is not is not unique to Scarlet Call, but um, I think that proves it's, it's a kind of significant Bible story, significant avowal of faith, and therefore it's a it's a worthy thing for the first principle of the order to be based on. You've just described the whole thing so well, Ian, and I think it kind of knocks it on the head, you know, in what you said, Josh, and the fact that such a diverse and um, almost an unsuspecting story could make its way and become so significant in masonry. And I guess, you know, I, I certainly didn't know the story of, of, of Boaz and obviously how it came from Rahab and there's a lot that masonry kind of has to thank in some regard for, its, well, for, right. for as we know it. Um, yeah. So, no, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. But then, of course, Boaz married Ruth. Ruth is the, the biblical Ruth. Ruth is the eighth book of the Bible. Boaz married Ruth. They had a son called Obed, who had a son called Jesse, who had a son called David, King David, who had a son called King Solomon. So if you follow that through, you've got Rahab and Salmon having Boaz, Boaz and Ruth having Obed, Obed having Jesse, Jesse having David. And then, so by joining Scarlet Cord, you can really prove that Boaz was great-grandfather of David. So it kind of fills in a gap. Nice. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Building. How many degrees are there to be received? There are six grades. The first grade is principally the, the Rahab story. The second grade is about Boaz and Ruth. So that fills in the story of their, their relationship and how they came together. So that's an important story. Uh, Ruth, very charitable person. So that the key word in, in that grade is um, charity. The third grade is unique in the Scarlet Calling and, and it's not based on a Bible story. It's all about honour and it's about hope in salvation in an afterlife. It's very important, but it's not a Bible story. It never was a Bible story, but we retained it because it, visually it's very impressive. It gives you the train because you've got the first degree about faith, you've got the second degree about charity, and you've got the third degree about hope. So you've got faith, hope, and charity. So it kind of all, it kind of gels. People like the third grade. So the first three grades are carried out within an individual consistory. Mm. Then, of course, you've got you've got an installation ceremony. But before an installation ceremony, again, unique, I think. It's always dangerous to say unique when you're talking about Freemasonry. But uniquely, before you can go into the chair of a consistory, you have to go through a preparation ceremony which is conducted usually at a provincial level. So you go through a preparation ceremony, you get a certificate to say you've been prepared, and then in, within your consistory, you're installed by your predecessor as in the usual way. Then once you're a past president for three years, you're eligible for promotion to the fourth grade on recommendation from your province. And that's done at grand sonatas level. So the, the officers of the year, I do, I conduct the ceremony from the chair and the assistant officers are the grand officers of the year from Grand Sonatas done it in the Grand Temple at Mount Mason's Hall. The fourth grade, that's the only place it's done, we're the only people that do it. Grand officer for three years, you're eligible for the fifth grade. Again, that, that's much smaller scale, but in exactly the same way it's done by the Grand Sonatas and the handpicked team to confer the fifth grade on grand, as I say, on grand officers of at least three years standing. And the sixth grade, again, much more rarefied. That's, that's entirely, that's not even on recommendation. That's entirely at the choice of the Grand Summers. Um, again, conferred, obviously, by people who already had the sixth grade, personally, by the Grand Summers. That's only done as and when there is somebody who the Grand Summers believes is, is worthy of promotion to the sixth grade. So the fourth grade is done once every year. Fifth grade is done twice a year. But the sixth grade is done, only done as and when. That's kind of how it works. Importantly, when can I expect my sixth grade? Well, <laughs> you, need to, uh, you need to join the OSM and then you need to do your second degree in the OSM and Scarlet Cord and then uh, the sky's the limit. Somebody awesome. like you, your youth, you could do it, you could crack it. Not easily, but you could crack it. But probably by the time you get there, it won't be me that's conferring it. But As well, it's absolutely fantastic to hear when... the rulers are actually undertaking the ritual and oh yeah and yeah, kind of bestowing yeah. upon an individual a particular degree yeah. or grade um yeah. that must be really yeah. really special for that person 
Well, you'd like to think so. Yeah, you would like to think so. We, we try and make it special. We try and make it very special. You know, I, I think people always have done both. That's really my a, a big thing with me, that whatever I do for candidates, and I don't want to sound holier than now, but, you know, whatever I do for candidates, I want to make it special for them. Because these, you know, I know you can say it's only masonry, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, like, like all of us, we take our masonry very, very seriously. So when you when you are rewarded um, for what you've done, I think it's important that you're made to feel really really special, and and that's what we try and do. So, I mean, the standard is the standard is uh, incredibly high. You've got people performing, taking part, who who are seriously good ritualists. We try and you know we'll, we'll go through without prompts and things like that. And um, you know we're all on the spot. I mean nobody's under more pressure than me because I'm the grand summer, so I'm expected to be able to do this thing faultlessly without a prompt. You know, so it, it, you do put yourself under a certain amount of pressure actually. But the real pressure is to try and give all the candidates something to be proud of achieving and, and something to remember. Of course, a tiny piece of ritual that we all saw you do on social media very recently was appoint a provincial Grand Summers oh, to yeah, their right. office, yeah. which yeah. Yeah. I, kind of, I think is a fantastic kind of thing given the current circumstances and very forward thinking. So well done. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it seemed, I mean, I did it off my own back. It, it, it seems a nice thing to do because the idea is that Chris would have taken office on that day back in April, by virtue of the patent he receives from, from Mark Mason's Hall, signed by me. So he, he, would have, he would have assumed control of his province on that day. But the installation of a provincial ruler, if you've ever been to one, it's, it's, it's a big thing. You know, you, you know the, the provincial Grand Sonatas is opened. It's the same as any Masonic order, really, or the majority of them. The, you know, the province is opened. Then the, the ruler, the Grand Master, whoever it is, comes in, takes the chair, thanks the, the outgoing head of the province, and then the, the new man is admitted and he's obligated and invested and installed, and then he does his deputy assistant, all his new officers. And it's, a, it's a big thing. It's a, a special thing. All the units in the province are represented, you know. So it's a special thing. So it seemed really disappointing for Chris that he was, he was just going to take office by getting a document you know, I don't even know if they sent him the document, actually. I mean, they probably just sent him a photocopy, would have sent him a photocopy through the post. So it seemed important just to do, to try and do something. Um, so, so that's, so that's what we did. And it, it was, he was certainly really touched because he, he put a lovely response back on Facebook, how much it meant to him, you know. So that was nice. But um, um, I think we've moved on a little bit since then. So we've, we've got another one coming up in Surrey next month so i think we're going to do more of a zoom thing for that um with a lot more people involved and i guess that that kind of leads on to kind of another question regarding how your day might have changed from being grand summers prior to post covid and also mm. kind of what the scarlet cord and what's the mark mason's hall are doing in general to deal with the covid situation and kind of keep yeah. things going on i don't know whether you want to talk a little bit about that I mean, as far as um, keeping in touch with the individual members is concerned, I think we're, we're doing as much as we can conceivably do, as we discussed earlier. Um, particularly, I feel with Scarlet Cord, I'm so pleased about the momentum we've built up over the last few years. You know, the number of people that are coming in, the number of people that we're retaining, because it's all very well bringing people through one door, if, if they're slipping out the back door through through you know, lack of interest or, you know, resignation. So it, it's a twin pronged attack. You've got to retain the membership and get the new members. So certainly during this time, of course, we can't bring any new members in. So we've got to redouble our efforts to make sure we don't lose people during this suspension of Masonic activity. So obviously we can't, we can't do anything about the deaths, although they've been much less, I think, Masonically than, than people had feared. Um, but we've got to keep people engaged and enthusiastic because I always say this masonry is a habit thing. You know, you go to your lodge meeting because, you know, on the first Tuesday in, in the month, that's what you do. But the danger is going to be once we get out of that situation, you know, people get out of the habit of going. Um, are they going to think when they can go back? Mm, I don't know whether I want to go back now. You know, I've, I've, I've not missed it as much as I thought or. I'm not, I don't feel as engaged anymore or something. Maybe, maybe now is the time 
to call it a day. So the important thing is to keep as many people as you can engaged and enthusiastic so that they're really looking forward to going back. And I think, you know, things like Zoom meetings and things like these forums and podcasts and things are, are really, really helping in that. I was on a Zoom meeting last night with Northern East Yorkshire Scarlet called, and there was only about 30 people on there, but one or two of the older boys said, you know, it's really perked me up having this, coming on this Zoom meeting, seeing everybody, you know, I haven't seen anybody, I've been stuck indoors for months and months and months because they, several of them were elderly with underlying health problems, and they were really, really perked up by, by having the opportunity of seeing their mates and just, um, you know, in, in, enjoying the company again. So I think I think these things are really important. So we're trying to do as much as that. The hands, brethren, aren't exactly square, but let's take the opportunity while we can to raise a glass and remember absent brethren. Yes, absent brethren. Absent, absent brethren. brethren. Yeah, very important. So absent brethren. Appropriate time to talk about that but when we're talking yeah. about you know people keeping people involved. Um, the really, I suppose, groundbreaking thing that's now coming out was announced from Mark Mason's Hall last week is that we will be able to have business meetings, not, not doing ritual, um, not doing ceremonial, but purely business meetings on Zoom. And I mean proper meetings, not get-togethers, proper Masonic meetings on Zoom to deal, as I say, to deal with purely business items. Yes. So decisions can be then made and, and things That's can right. keep ticking so, over. Exactly. So I just happened to, again, I'm talking about Equace Conclave OSM. This is a new summons uh, today for Equace Conclave OSM, which would normally be meeting on the 14th of July. And if I just read to you what it says, it says it's the, the format is identical to... Um, any other summons, list of members on the back, you know, officers, order of business. And um, on the front, it says, Dear Sir and Brother, I have to request your attendance at a virtual business meeting of the Conclave to be held on Tuesday, the 14th of July, 2020 at 5 p.m. in lieu of the regular meeting scheduled to have been held on that date during the general suspension of Masonic activity arising from the COVID-19 pandemic. So that's, that's, that's the wording which is issued all across the board from the orders administered from Mark Mason's Hall. And the agenda is to um, open the meeting, to read the dispensation. Obviously, it's a, it's a special thing. Nobody's going to have a warrant there. So there's a dispensation to have the meeting on Zoom, to confirm the minutes of the previous meeting, to receive the reports of visiting deacons, which is like an almoner's role we have in the order secret monitor, uh, the election of the supreme ruler for the coming year, to elect the treasurer and the outer guard, to uh, elect auditors for the accounts, transact any other business. So it's, it's a purely business meeting, but it is a proper meeting. As a self-styled innovations officer, I absolutely love this as an idea. Yeah, really forward thinking, really uh, forward thinking. You and everyone at Mark Mason's Hall is using this as an opportunity to really uh, push boundaries and push things forwards. It feels really yeah. positive. I, I think it's an acceptable extension, actually. It's not something that the craft have said can be done but it remains to be seen if this drags on longer than we hope whether the craft take it on board certainly i know that ryan williams at mark mason Hall is talking regularly to david staples at great queen street and david is aware that that mark mason Hall are now doing this it's you know we're all told you you shouldn't make innovations in the body of freemasonry but sometimes you just have to to do things so i think it's an acceptable way of doing things as we discussed earlier, I wouldn't advocate having, you know, ceremonial or anything like that on Zoom, to be honest. But I think purely business meetings where everybody's going to be dressed appropriately and, you know, that sort of thing, I think is, is, is sensible and acceptable. It's just the way that Freemasonry uh, evolves in the face of necessity, really. But I mean, we've always changed. Freemasonry has always changed. Yeah, if Freemasonry hadn't changed, we'd be sitting above inns, around long tables, smoking pipes, uh, drinking porter and port. With and, candles. And that with, doesn't sound too bad to me. No, no I, 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 <laughs> no. I was going to say, quite fancy the port. always says that. Somebody always said, but you know what I mean. If, if Freemasonry had involved and doing lectures around the table, um, if Freemasonry hadn't involved, we'd still be doing that. So it, it evolves to in the face of the change of life, if you like. And again, it's going to keep people involved. 
somebody raised a question last night about whether we when we do go back to having proper meetings flesh and blood meetings if you like whether they're on zoom at the same time for people vulnerable people that that don't want to go or even for people that um would like to go but can't for for whatever reason through illness you know just just generally i mean i said we had i can't remember where i said it but i mean we had a we had a meeting a get together not a meeting but we had a get together of the uh, the metropolitan uh, executive lodge and we had people on there that never come to the lodge for real you know but they were on there because it was on zoom they could be there and participate and it was nice to see them but they never come to london because it's too far so that will be i think something we might need to discuss whether we can whether we can double up when we go back if numbers are restricted for the sake of argument whether we can double up by having a some form of uh, of zoom facility at the meeting technology exists it's it does yeah uh, i use uh, professionally and yeah um realistically yeah. not that hard to implement but um... no that's right and i think you know people say oh well, it won't be tiled and all that sort of stuff but i mean you know with all the encryption mm -hmm. i mean it, it's as safe as it can be i think or could be as safe i think if anything we, we anyway we profit from from what's happened it's in the use of zoom with uh, keeping people in contact so i think i hope that's something that we continue with when we're you know with the majority of us are back doing masonry in in the usual accepted sense i hope we carry on with zoom um, in some shape or form i was going to ask just how many times do you usually meet a year scarlet called or yeah yeah scarlet scarlet called consistories usually either meet twice or three times a year you'll have to entertain this next question so yeah. our listeners listening to this podcast uh, a lot of them will be young bloody masons a lot of them will be masons that will be wanting to kind of you know um explore different progressive orders dependent bodies in, yeah. in, in their freemasonry who have always wondered the question of what does it take to set up your own appendant body what does it take to set up your own a new order so i guess scarlet cord there was the advantage that you had the historical texts you knew that it had existed you were pretty much just reviving something that had yeah. already been yeah but, so i'm going to throw an idea at you i'm going to throw an idea um so say that the leads like blues or the you know myself josh matthew and jordan we wanted to start up an order and say we wanted to call it something like i don't know the order of the white rose yeah. or something like that and we were going to give it historical reference to the war of the roses yeah um how would we go about that and what would what's the process involved in creating a whole new masonic order um well i mean quite simply you could start it off tomorrow if you wanted to there's nothing there's nothing to stop you but it would the the problem say it's a problem um what you would find is that you know you it would be it would be incredibly difficult almost impossible i would say to get recognition from from other masonic bodies you might find you know certainly you wouldn't be recognized at all by by the authorities at great queen street you wouldn't be recognized by the authorities at mark mason's hall or at, at juice Street and james for the rose choir um because because that's happened with um two of the other newer orders if you like which you probably heard of the order of athelston which is quite big and the order of pilgrim preceptors which is now becoming quite big so they've more or less started off from scratch they've given themselves a legendary history but they've started effectively i think from scratch and um they're not recognized as it were by certainly not by great queen street and and not recognized by officially recognized by mark mason so so that would be the problem but there would be nothing to stop you starting an order which you might call a masonic order but you'd find it impossible to get any kind of official recognition from anywhere you might even find it difficult to get a masonic hall that would accept you for your meetings so i mean that that would be the problem but so, there would be nothing to stop you starting off something much yourselves if you wanted to call it that so yeah. would it make us clandestine masons no, if we started no, no, not at all. no not at all no as long as you no not at all as long as you adhere to the you know as long as you adhere to the basic principles of, of freemasonry and in, in that you know they required people to be a mason and obviously a belief in a supreme being and you know all the all the other things that that you would do you know 
have a have a, a volume of the sacred law present and and all the things like that. I mean, they would you wouldn't be regarded as clandestine masons at all. Nobody regards Athelstan as being clandestine masons. It's just you wouldn't be you wouldn't it would be impossible to gain any official kind of recognition. That's the only issue, really. Okay. But I mean, Scarlet Corps, when it was reborn, it had the it had the advantage of being supported and, and led in many ways by by Mark Mason's Hall. It was you know. It was, the, after all, the idea to to inaugurate it as a sovereign order of the Grand Recorder. So it immediately had that uh, that backing. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. I haven't managed to listen to your other talk yet. I just wondered, with the process of, obviously, you have to do OSM before you can be in the Scarlet Card. Yeah. How, what's the steps to get to that? To get to OSM? Yeah. Just to be a Master Mason. That's oh. it. You don't have to be anything else to join OSM except a Master Mason. It's worth giving a big shout out to Alan Webster, yeah. um, who's a huge supporter of us. And I reckon if you've got any questions about OSM or anyone in the province has a question about OSM, he's a good person to go to. Very much. Very much. Alan, Leeds. Alan is uh, Alan's a great secret monitor and a great Scarlet Call Mason too. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. Although we've just outed him, so it's no longer a very secret. <laughs> no, <that's right. laughs> Okay, so I think that pretty much winds up a podcast for this evening. Ian, thank you very much for coming on. It's been an absolute no, pleasure great. having you. No, it's been fantastic. I've enjoyed it enormously. Thank you very much for the, um, for the privilege of, of, of being allowed to be on both last week and this week. Bill, so we need to raise a glass to you because obviously oh, we're both an absolutely excellent lecture that you gave us and obviously for your time this evening on the podcast. So, brother, let's raise thank a glass. You. So, you're very worshipful, brother, Ian Currens. Thank you. Very worshipful, brother, Ian Currens. Thank you. Very worshipful brother Ian Currens. Worshipful brother I... Ian Currens. Thank you. Can or I just at give Ian Currens too on Twitter if you if you yeah, want to I follow. Mean, him. If, if people are interested in joining OSM or Scarlet Called, perhaps we should you know just give them a little bit of information. I'm always on the lookout for recruits. You can go on to the uh, you can make an inquiry via the Mark Mason Hall website if you want to, or you can catch me on uh, Twitter as you say at Ian Currens, C-U-R-R-A-N-S-2, or you can get onto me on Facebook, Ian Currens. So if you're interested, you need to be put in touch with, with somebody. We will always find you a proposer and seconder. You know, if, you, if, you, if you're coming to this cold, you'd like to join, but you don't know anybody who's in it, you don't know whether there's one locally, we'll always put you in touch. And then if you're interested in joining, we'll always find you a proposer and seconder. We'll always, we'll always do that. I have been Brother Matt Namiria. I still am Brother Josh Duckley Turnbull. I am always Brother Matthew Wharton. <laughs> I don't really have a thing to say like that, so I'll just say it's, it's Brother Jordan signing <laughs> off. And uh, it's good night from Ian Currens. Thank you, Brother. Oh, hey. Didn't see you there. Show's over. You've got 10 minutes to leave before they call security. Trust me, I know. Next week, We'll be joined by Right Worshipful Brother David Pratt, Provincial Grand Master for the Province of Yorkshire West Riding. Until then, farewell and stay safe.